Just a few announcements. Um, so Melbourne is back in lockdown, which means the, uh, the ashram has got upward shift meditations each morning at 8.30 uh, on Instagram. Um, tomorrow morning, I believe we will be streaming the Guru Gita. Um, but other than that, each other uh, morning will be from various ashram teachers. So while you're locked down, definitely uh, get on Instagram and participate in that beautiful offering. Next week for satsang, uh, we've got Baba's Divya Diksha. Uh, and if you're anything like me, then you will love watching Guruji talk about his guru, Baba. Um, so I would strongly recommend popping online and booking that one in. And of course now, if you've got your calendars handy uh, or your phone, we've got our next weekend retreat and intensive. That will be on the 1st of October until the 3rd. Um, and it will also coincide with Baba's Mahasamadhi, which is on the second, which will, I'm sure, be very powerful. There'll be more details coming soon regarding bookings, um, so stay tuned. And now I'll pass over to Devi Ma. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'll, I'll welcome you properly in a moment. But I just wanted to say that it's uh, Vidya's debut, and it's also her birthday today. And aren't we grateful that uh, Bhagwan Nityananda has rescued all of us dogs? <laughs> yeah, including you too, Radio Lab. So, you know, the death of a great being is uh, both is uh, poignant. I think poignant. It's a poignant experience. It's both because it's liberating for the for the great being, but also sad for us. But tonight, I felt like I was back in Ganeshpuri. I mean, seriously. I felt so much Shakti and so much aliveness in the uh, Abhishek and the mantras and the chanting and just everything. So I hope that transmits to all of you out there in Radioland. So tonight I'm drawing on, oh, by the way, Swamiji, our beloved guru, is uh, on the mend. And unless something, uh, he relapses in a way that makes it impossible for him to speak, he should be back next Saturday. Yes. And maybe even Tuesday, who knows. But anyways, uh, I'm drawing on a talk he gave on Bhagwan in the summer retreat, Patanjali retreat of 2013. And uh, I guess it was January that year. Anyways, it's a very, very powerful 
I think, powerful talk that he gave. So I hope that you all enjoy it. And of course, he begins by saying sabko, which I won't say in Hindi, but on behalf of Swamiji, I'd like to welcome you all with love and respect. So Swamiji begins, he says, one of the great yogis of our time, of the 20th century, is of course, Bhagwan Nityananda. Do we have any photos? Why not? Maybe you even have the ones from January 13th. <laughs> I meant to tell you, I forgot. Just a few photos of the great soul. Although, what can be more beautiful than him? Why don't you just do a close-up of the, of the Murti? I mean, he's just so beautiful. You know, I remember when, uh, when we went to India to get him, the Murti, and uh, we had to pick him up in Bombay and, and uh, the truck. But before, the, the priests had told us, the temple priests had told us that we couldn't take him back here, bring him back to Australia without bringing him to the temple. <laughs> you know, and I mean, he weighs, I don't know how many kilos, a lot. Takes 10 men to lift him. Anyways, so this little wee rickety truck arrives in front of the temple. And, uh, you know, the villagers are incredibly curious. What's inside? What's inside? And suddenly there's a whole group of them around the truck. And a, this one villager, I, don't, I can't remember who it was. Anyways, he gets so excited. And he says, you must take him inside. You must take him inside. We thought, you know, and we were trying to stop him. We just wanted to kind of like, you know, pretend that they were in the same room together, the big Bhagwan in the temple and our little Bhagwan. So he gets so excited, he calls all these villagers over, all these men, and suddenly they're in the truck picking him up, lifting him up, and it just so happened that it was lunchtime, the temple hadn't closed yet, and they rush him in, and they barge through those silver barricades, you see. And the priests are saying, you know, no, 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 but they won't listen. Oh, no, because they are astounded at the beauty of him. So they take him inside, and I don't know whether they're just, I can't remember if they're just holding, they're, I think they're just holding him there. And all the priests come over and say, what's this? What's this? And we, you know, we, we're racing after them. We're saying, he's our Bhagwan, he's our Bhagwan. We're taking him to Australia. And they are aghast at the perfection of his face, of the way he looks. They are in awe, and also they're jealous. They've never seen, they said, such a beautiful Bhagwan. And I agree. I agree. And of course, uh, Prasad, one of the priests, our, our priest in the temple, came out here when we installed him. And uh, there he is. And so much Shakti and love from the big temple to the little temple and to all of us comes directly from there. So aren't we grateful? Huh? Someone's waving at me down there. I don't know what he wants. 
Huh? Nothing? No. Oh. <laughs> he wants nothing for a change. <laughs> I'm not going to have time for my talk if I don't. What do you say? Yeah, I have a visa. <laughs> yeah, a visa. Did you ask him? He needs, a, he needs a permanent visa, so let's pray that he gets it. All of you should pray that Nataraj gets a permanent visa. <laughs> Maybe it's the day all our wishes are fulfilled. So make a wish on this day. I feel it's auspicious for wishes. There's something about today. All right. Okay, where am I? Oh, yeah, the 20th century. <laughs> okay. Bhagwan Nityananda, my guru's guru, Bhagwan Nityananda embodied, remember Swamiji speaking, embodied the austerity and detachment that yogis talk about. His ashram in Ganeshpuri is called Kailas Nivas, and we have visited it many times on our trips to Ganeshpur. We should wish to meet in Ganeshpuri ASAP, as soon as we can. Don't you think? Start saving your pennies. Tonight, Swamiji writes, we are going to hear some of the writings or utterances of Bhagwan, the yogi who's sitting over there. He walked around with just a loincloth. He was completely detached. As Baba said, even though he had nothing, he had everything. He was a universal being. He was reminiscent of the ancient rishis, the ancient sages of the Upanishads and the Vedas, and he was in such a high state of consciousness, such a rare being. His expression gives us a taste of that state, and if you listen to it the right way, you'll get a taste of it. He has everything Patanjali talked about because this retreat was actually a series on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So there's Swamiji reference him throughout this uh, talk. He is the experience of Patanjali. So as we do this Patanjali course, we should keep Bhagavad Nityananda in the back of our minds as we go through the sutras. Bhagavad Nityananda has said, in the beginning, mind and self are the same to all people. At the end, at the state of universal dissolution, he means at death, it is also the same. Only in the interval of breathing, thinking, and actions is there a difference. So in between birth and death, there's a difference. But at the end and the beginning, it's the same. This is the way he thought, Swamiji says. He says that before creation, everything is one. Mind and self are one. Then this pesky thing called the universe comes into being. After all, that is what we do. We breathe, we think, we do. And that's how we live our life. And eventually, we die. When death comes, the mind and self return to the source. That is Bhagavan Nityananda's point of view. He implies that because we return to the self, let's not get hot and bothered about living. Life begins in oneness. We go through difficulty, turmoil, and so on, and then we return to oneness. We go through turmoil, 
and then we return. So what's the big deal? Let's not get upset. Bhagwan says that we take birth to fulfill desires, to deal with desires. In other words, when the life energy moves outwards, we experience the world in which we can work with desire. And when it moves within, it moves towards the self and desire lessens. To be embodied means that we have a mind and we have senses, we have beingness, we exist, we have knowledge and understanding, and we have ignorance. Bhagwan encourages, encourages us saying, he who conquers the senses is a free man. For him, fulfillment arises from within. We are in a conundrum. We are embodied. We are human beings in a body. And in that body, we have a mind, which is always talking to us. We have our senses that look out and sees things, some of it good, some of it bad. It chatters. I hate, I want, I'm scared, I'm jealous. Our minds are speaking to us like that, and this is the way we live life. And sometimes, when we get to the end of the game of life and realize that we will not get a win out of thinking that way. We awaken spiritually. We turn to the self and realize that the source of true happiness is actually within us. We begin to understand that desires are a projection, that negative thinking is wrong understanding, and we begin a search for the source. We might ask, where is that inner light coming from? A great yogi combines the two paths of inner and outer and learns to live life with intelligence, to live from the center, from the self. A yogi does not deny the external world, but moves in the external world with success and detachment. When we are caught in the external world by our preferences, in wanting and hating, we are thrown off kilter and court misery. We believe thoughts like, I'm never getting what I want. I'm a loser. I know I'll never get what I want. But worse still, I will, we think I will always get what I don't want. I will always attract the obnoxious and the disgusting. The beautiful and wonderful are far away. This is my lot in life. That attitude from a yogic point of view is unhealthy. We think that way because we haven't taken charge of our mind and senses. We haven't learned how to live in this world in true joy. A great yogi doesn't live like that. A great yogi says that this whole world is a play of the divine. This whole world is a play of consciousness. A yogi has thoughts like, I live in peace and joy. My desires now are for joy, for ecstasy, for wisdom, luminosity, and love. The great beings see that everything is nothing but a reflection of love. When that love and ecstasy is projected outwardly, then the world gives you everything. Like Bhagawan's world, it comes tumbling to your feet. Life is a constant conundrum. 
The world tells us that having a lot of money is happiness. Finding Miss or Mr. Right will bring us happiness. But eventually we see that contentment and happiness are within. It means that we have to love ourselves and not hate ourselves. It means that we give our love to other people, even those who have injured us. Okay, now he... he uh, shares verse 75 from the Chittakash Gita of Bhagwan. A lamp cannot burn without oil. That's the first line. And Swamiji says, I like to say that Bhagwan uses images from village life. He came to Ganeshpuri, which was a wilderness at the time, and he just sat there. He had no desire to create a town. He had so much spiritual power, people came to visit him, and pretty soon there were restaurants and hotels and so on, and ashram sprang up. He watched village life, and he used what he saw in his teachings and in his aphorisms, or I don't know what you'd call these. I guess you'd call them a kind of aphorism. Bhagwan continues, a lamp cannot burn without oil. The body cannot function without breath. Without a rudder, a boat cannot be steered to harbor. A steamship is guided by steam power. And the skill of the captain, a country boat, cannot go like a steamship. Swamiji comments, his writings seem to be from personal observation they even say that Bhagwan Nityananda, legend has it, sailed to Sri Lanka and other places like that. It's hard to imagine. There is a comic book of Bhagwan Nityananda, which is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And it shows him going to Sri Lanka and Burma, but he is always the same. Even as a little kid, he wears a loincloth. I love this, you know. He wears a little loincloth all through life. He wears the same clothes. He always looks the same. He's just a little tyke, but he wears a loincloth and looks stoned. He's on the ship, apparently. He got a job as a seaman, and he's still wearing a loincloth. <laughs> Bhagwan continues with this uh, sutra or aphorism. What are they? Huh? Sutras. Are they sutras? Yes. Okay. He continues. He says, the sannyasi, the swami, is like the steamship. The swami is like a steamship. Swamiji says, he comments, he says, by the sannyasi, he doesn't mean just somebody who's taken the vows, wears orange, but hopefully includes them. But he means somebody who's in a renounced state and connected to the self, connected to consciousness. This is a true sannyasi. Bhagwan continues. He says, he, that one who's connected to the self and to consciousness, has put the world inside himself. And he is like a steamship. In other words, he's self-motivated, self-generating. Everything comes from the self. This is Bhagwan's mind. 
A steamship is run by its inner power, while the country boat must be a sailboat. So it's dependent on the wind. But a steamship, now don't get all upset if you're a, if you're a sailor and you know you like to sail, but the point is that a yogi is powered from within himself. He doesn't have to rely on anything outside of himself, and neither does the steamship. Bhagwan says, the man who is in the world is like the country boat. Swamiji comments, the man in the world is dependent about, upon external feedback and rewards and punishments for his state of consciousness. Isn't that true? You're happy when things go well. You're miserable when things go badly. The steamboat just chugs along. But only if the country boat has wind can it move nicely. But if it doesn't, it has problems. However, the steamboat chugs right through stillness. Bhagavan continues, The Brahma-Randra, the crown, of the sannyasi, the topmost center, is the guiding light atop the steamship. Swamiji writes, Isn't that a wonderful metaphor? The light on the boat is like the light of a yogi who lives from the highest centers. The higher intellectual center, the center of oneness, luminosity, and joy. That center is open. So that's how a yogi lives his life, not from below, not from thinking, I want this or I don't want that. A yogi lives from the universal principle, Bhagwan. The mind of the sannyasi is merged in the Rudaya Kasha, the space of the heart. The light is the sannyasi. So Swamiji continues. He says, Bhagawan is saying that the person who is in that space becomes the light of the heart. Then he goes on with some more life metaphors. Bhagawan, the cow, this is all one sutra, one poem, one expression, this whole thing. He says, Bhagawan goes on, he says, the cow cannot run like the horse. Well, that's true. <laughs> if they had a race, you know who'd win. Swamiji writes, he says, now you'd expect, it being India, that the cow is going to come off better than a horse, wouldn't you? You'd be wrong, he says. In this one thing, the horse is better. The horse is not as good at giving dung Cow dung is superior, and many other things, but a horse runs faster than the cow. Bhagawan continues. He says, A person whose mind is merged in the self is like the horse. One whose mind is in the world is like the cow, you know, sitting around chewing the cud, not doing much, occasionally giving milk, you know, in India. Move slowly. Everyone cannot be a king at once. We cannot be, all be kings at the same time. Everyone cannot be traitors at once. Customers are also required. 
And Swamiji writes, that's the end of the aphorism. Isn't that wonderful? I like it when it's completely incomprehensible. Utterances. Oh, yeah. Utter he says that at the beginning. Utterances. Well, some of them are quite long, though. This one's quite long. We haven't, we still, uh, yeah, this, uh, the, the last line is, uh, everyone cannot be traitors at once. Customers are also required. So if you're running like a horse in life, you and your life run smoothly. But then suddenly, Bhagwan says, everyone cannot be a king at once. Everyone cannot be traitors at once. Businessmen and customers are also necessary. You know, they say a great yogi learns from the ignorant and teaches the wise. It means that a great yogi learns from every event in his life and understands a general principle. I imagine Bhagwan looking out at those who come to him thinking, it would be nice if all of these people were enlightened, but they're not. I think Bhagwan means that if you look at the world with equanimity, you know that everything is as it should be. Those who are coming to the path of enlightenment are coming, are coming. You yourself have probably talked to people and tried to urge them to come to meditate or come to the ashram, and they reject that counsel. Have you had that experience? Sometimes they say, okay, but sometimes not. Bhagavan is saying that whatever happens is as it should be. If you can see that, then you understand that you are as you should be. And as soon as you realize fully that you are as you should be, you're no longer who you were. A big shift happens and you achieve a state of contentment. Then you become the horse and you are no longer a cow. Are you ready for a few more Bhagawanisms? He says, Swamiji says, when I do Bhagawan, I notice you all become incredibly spaced out. I try to make jokes, anything to bring you back. But I can't tell where you've gone. You've gone off to Bhagawan Nichananda land. His words do convey that place of samadhi, the highest state. All right, Swamiji continues with another utterance. Bhagwan says, number 76, the seeds of the mind, when fed into the mill of spiritual discernment, produce the oil of wisdom nectar. The seeds of the mind, when fed into the mill of spiritual discernment, produce the oil of wisdom nectar. Swamiji comments, this one is very interesting. The seeds of the mind means that we have some skaras, negative tendencies. Everybody has bad tendencies, a tendency toward anger, a tendency toward fear. Do you have a tendency toward jealousy? Do you have a tendency to be negative and pessimistic and despairing? Do you have those tendencies? Are you neurotic? 
Bhagavan is saying that if you put your tendencies into the mill of spiritual discernment, you will experience nectar. So in other words, whatever tendency you have, if you can get to the bottom of the anger tendency, if you go deep into the anger, there is a profound meaning in that anger, and you will be able to work with it. Jealousy is also telling you something. When I feel jealous of a person, I am telling myself something about who I am, what I am, and what I want. If I am fearful, it is telling me something also. If I can apply Bhagwan's wisdom, something beautiful will be revealed. If we go deeper, you know, the first premise of Shiva process is to always take the feeling inside, not to project it outward. Now, that's a very difficult training because we, we're not, we're still can be unconscious of the feeling that our words convey. And so we may not be aware of when we're transmitting anger or grief or disappointment or fear. But the only way we can know what we're transmitting, whether it's love or enmity, is to take the feeling inside, to direct the mind towards that feeling and not be afraid of it, not fear what's in there. It's the contraction, the feeling of limitation that we need to be afraid of. That's what we need to pay attention to because that's not our true nature and it blocks our true nature. So he's saying, Swamiji is saying, go deeper. If we go deeper, he says, rather than denying them, pretending they don't exist, telling ourselves that's not it, arguing with it, you know, often the wisdom of the self speaks up. It says, hey, and if it doesn't come from your own consciousness, it'll come from people around you. They will say to you, oh, you seem angry. Oh, you seem upset. Oh, you seem whatever. I'm concerned for you. You'll just argue with it. You'll just defend yourself against the truth of what consciousness is trying to say. So we shouldn't, he, Swamiji's encouraging us not to be that way. He says, we are stuck if we do that. But by understanding that God is speaking to us when that happens, when we think like that, the self is speaking to us even our, our negative emotion, even in the emotions we dislike, then we begin to accept ourselves. We come to know that everyone has these samskaras, has these negative seeds, these tendencies. We're not alone in it. Every human being on the planet has negative tendencies, has negative, negative emotion that comes up. You know, I was thinking earlier, I was just, thinking, I wanted to say that even if we make good choices, even if we make the best possible choices we can when it comes to making decisions, there can still be sadness. There can still be disappointment. There can still be fear. There can still be frustration. Even if we do everything right, it can still arise. It can still come up. So Swamiji is saying, learn to look towards it rather than away from it. Take it inside. 
So in utterance 77, Bhagavan says, without deep faith, there can be no desirelessness. When mind is dissolved, there can be no desire. Without faith, there are no fruits. And Swamiji comments, he says, so Bhagwan's saying that faith is needed. You know, I think faith has been given bad press. Faith has been interpreted as something you have to believe or else you might go to hell if you don't have faith or somebody is going to stand over you, some sober churchman like myself. Yeah, right. And tell you that you had better believe this or God will abandon you because you're a sinner. That's not what faith is. Faith is faith in the higher principle. It's a belief that despite all appearances and the absolute stubbornness of bad tendencies, God is stronger than they are. It's very late. Swamiji was right. He said, you can't, you won't get through all this tonight. Let me see. How many more pages have I got? Huh? Oh, my God, it goes on and on. What do you think? Oh, Swamiji, what do you think? Huh? Huh? It's very good. I know. It's great stuff, isn't it? All right. Did he answer? He fell asleep. No, no, he, <laughs> oh. All right. I used to believe in the days of my sadhana in Ganeshpuri with Baba that I had the most terrible and disgusting mental patterns. But then I thought about Baba's teachings and began to believe that the self is stronger than my small mind. I would remember that I had been pulled out of my life and brought to India to practice yoga. There must be a higher principle guiding me. I never expected my life to be this way. That power must be stronger than these hideous tendencies. Huh? What, <laughs> what did he say? I can only do one bit more? Yeah, one bit more. It's all good. <laughs> well, I need to finish this section. I need to finish this. All right. It's a long section. Although then we don't have the coconut tree. Oh, maybe the coconut tree is in this one. Oh, I don't know. All right. Now I'm arguing with him in my head. <laughs> hey. <laughs> He's telling me to stop. Hey, we should take a vote. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, I'm, it's all right. Uh, Baba's smiling at me up there. All right, so. He said, yes, okay, do what you want. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you're all witnesses. <laughs> oh my God, where am I? Oh yeah. I would tell myself that even though right now I'm feeling miserable, unhappy, frustrated, and hopeless about myself, I can have faith that the higher principle is stronger than my mind. It can conquer my mind's tendencies. Otherwise, what a monumental ego trip I am on. God is great, but my mind is stronger? In a tag team match, in a one-one boxing bout with God on, my so on one side and my evil tendencies on the other, my evil tendencies win? That's real ego. Faith is to know that when you stay with the higher truth, it will win. So have faith. The higher truth is more powerful than your ego and your ignorance. Have the patience and the toughness of spirit and the stick-to-itness to keep working with your tendencies. Victories will soon come. All right, I'm going to end there because that, is, that makes him happy. Aren't I a good disciple? I'm very obedient, at least in this situation. Oh, but I really want to go on. But I'll leave it. I'll leave it. Maybe he can do it next week. I shouldn't say that. But anyways, maybe he will. He can t continue it. Or I can continue it sometime. All right. So now we're going to chant some mantras. Uh, how many? Let's just do 54. We were going to chant Om Shri Nityanandaya Namaha before we go into meditation. And uh, Swamiji has given us some meditation instructions. And once again, on his behalf, I welcome you all with love. And after the, we do the mantras, we'll meditate. So you can let yourself consider his, his meditation instructions. He says, let your intuition reach out to something higher than your mind and your feeling of limitation. Just beyond that veil is the self. Just beyond the veil is the higher power. Meditate on the self. Meditate on purity, luminosity, strength, and beauty. That exists in equal and full measure with every one of us. We'll just do the mantra. Om Shri Nityanandaya
Shakti Om Shakti Om Shakti Om Om Shakti Om Shakti Om.